Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest represents companies and management in all facets of employment law. He devotes a substantial portion of his time to maintaining collaborative relationships with his clients and developing strategies to avoid employee relations litigation and minimize potential exposure. The vice chair of Cozen O'Connor's Labor and Employment Department, Michael Schmidt, welcome to Left Foot. Nicole, thanks so much for having me. Great to have you with us. Which of your personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful in developing business? Well, I've been a big advocate when I talk to people about the kinds of things that I do and talk to people about the kinds of things they should do when it comes to uh, business development on this whole notion of needing to do what works for you and what you're comfortable with. You know, you could watch five, 10, 50 different people in your firm or in another firm and see how they go about developing business and what their strategies are. And some may work for you, some may not. You may have a comfort level with one approach, but maybe not another. So to me, the first order of business is figuring out what I'm comfortable with or what you're comfortable with when it comes to business development and and then develop your strategies around that. And from my own standpoint, I have always been much better at building relationships as opposed to simply a cold, hard sell at an event, at an industry association event or some other type of event doing the, the hard sell and asking for the new file there. I've always been much more comfortable and, and found that I've been more successful building relationships and building up to that trust level where they're going to start to think of you as a value add to their company and uh, maybe someone working with. No, yeah, I think that's a great point. And we have definitely heard that on Left Foot. Finding what you're comfortable with is really important. So you don't feel, quote unquote, salesy. You're working on building your network outside of your comfort zone. Do you like to build relationships? How do you do that? Well, one of the things is I try to communicate with people as much as I can. I will not necessarily, again, if I'm meeting somebody at at an event or at some association meeting, I'll have a conversation with them, not just about the law and what I do, but I want to hear about what they're doing. I want to hear about their business and not just professionally their business, but also want to hear about what they like and what their interests are on the personal side. You know, maybe talk about sports. I try to stay a little bit away from politics, uh, particularly these days, but try to get to know them as people, where they come come from, what their interests are, to try to connect with them on not just a, here's a lawyer trying to sell me level. So I think developing a relationship and and sort of a well-rounded relationship with potential contacts and clients is a great way to start so that when you then communicate back with them, you shoot them over an email because their favorite team uh, has just won a big game or because something is in the news that you saw that they're interested in and you're just letting them know that uh, you saw this and maybe they'd be interested in the article as well. Uh, so developing over time that kind of relationship that interconnects business and lawyer client with what's going on in their personal life is something that I've been most comfortable with and I have found is really appreciated by the people on the other end. Very helpful when you can get to that point in the relationship. 
How do you go from meeting someone, an HR professional that you think might be a good potential client, possibly at some social engagement where it's more comfortable, right? Where you're, someone just says, hey, I work for name company. And then how do you get to that point where you know you really are having that exchange that's a little bit more comfortable, where you really do know something about them? While we're actually there at that event? Yeah. Or I think it could be conveyed in a success story. Can you relay a success story where you met someone, it was not a current client of Cozen, but someone you met in your life and that they have now become a client. How'd that happen? One good example is one of the more recent examples where the individual who represents a company and we were attending corporate council conference recently and had an occasion to speak with her in between CLE sessions. And we were just commenting generally about how the conference was going, how the CLE sessions were going, how many years she and I had been going to this particular conference. And we started started to talk from there a little bit about where we are in our professional careers, how long she's been with the company, how long I've been with the firm. We talked a little bit about the industry that she was in, and I brought up the fact that I'm aware of and have actually frequented the particular type of retail store in New York where I live and work. And that then led to a discussion about the kinds of things that I do from a legal standpoint, the kinds of things that I work with clients on, both from a litigation perspective, but also on a day-to-day counseling perspective and some of the issues most relevant to this type of business and that type of industry. We're now scheduled to have a follow-up conversation about a particular need that has come up on her end. And what I got out of it was that I was not just somebody at this event ready to do a hard sell with a business card, but just brought up small talk, informal kind of personal talk that you might with anybody at a social cocktail function. And that very naturally led to a discussion about our respective workplaces and how I could add some value to her company. Strong story. And one of the reasons is you were just being more natural. I interview a lot of folks that say they do not want forced networking. The idea of going to a conference and thinking, wow, I'm not really here to network, but if I happen to meet someone great. You said something that to me is a big factor. When you go to the same event year after year, you get to know people just because they'll recognize you. And I think that can be such a big plus. Oh yeah. And within that umbrella of relationship building, that's another way of doing that. One of the things I was going to add was that when you talk about do what you're comfortable with, we all have a limited amount of time to go to this event or that event. There are so many bar associations and industry organizations and committees and networking organizations that at some point you realize, and I have over the last few years, you realize that you really have to be picky in the number and the types of things that you join and the things you go to. So it it became clear to me that it's more important rather than put your name into 10 different organizations that have meetings throughout the year and instead, you know, become an active part of one or two that you feel passionate about uh, so that, as you just pointed out, you can start going more regularly to their annual meetings or their semi-annual meetings. And not only do you become more active and you become a bigger participant and, and potentially a leader in that organization, people start to recognize you and you start to recognize other people who are also going year after year. And, and, and that's a great way of developing relationships without it being forced. Absolutely great. That allows you to spread out in those relationships. I do think we all are attracted to people who are comfortable and smiling and open and appear that way when 
when they go into a meeting like that, and by really going in with the intention of learning and not selling, I think we all, no matter what our backgrounds are, I've been a career sales professional, and I'm not that comfortable going in and forcing networking. I'm much more comfortable when I'm going in because I'm interested in the topic. I'm excited to hear what the speakers have to say. So that is definitely part of my strategy. Do you have a well thought out strategy that you look to execute every year? Is it something that you sit down and think about? Or is it more you have an established strategy that is just part of the way you lead your practice? I do think about it. I think when you talk about business development, to me, it's always a very fluid strategy. I mean, it's always the particular time that you have to devote to business development. While you should always be spending time uh, on business development and thinking about it, the amount of time you have in a particular month and a particular year does tend to vary. So I think it's important that you take the time to think about it. I tend to think about it toward the end of each calendar year. And again, you know, also at the beginning of each calendar year. And what I try to do is I do a look back and a look forward. I look back to see what I've done the last year, the last three to five years, and what has worked and what hasn't worked, whether it's things that I've written about, the places that I've spoken, the places that I've attended, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And now on the look forward part of that, what am I trying to accomplish in the next year or the next two to three years from a client standpoint, perhaps from an industry standpoint, from a speaking or writing standpoint, and how can I take what has worked or not worked in the past and change things up to improve on the business development going forward. I do take a chunk of time between December and January to look back and look forward and plan things out for myself. In the time that you've been doing that type of planning, have you been surprised? Has something that you thought was going to work not worked as well? Or has something that you were somewhat lukewarm on worked much better than you anticipated? I think probably the latter. If, if I've been surprised with anything, I've been surprised about the power of social media when it comes to business development. What I have learned over the last couple of years is really two things. Number one, I have found that companies and general counsel of companies tend to be spending a lot of time on the internet looking to see where they can find legal experts in a particular area. I engage in labor and employment law, and I have found that companies and general counsel will do searches on the internet to see what lawyers have written about a particular topic, have spoken at a conference on a particular topic, and they've used the internet and social media to find lawyers for a particular project or representation. I was surprised at how much that seemed to be true. The other thing that surprised me in a a good way is how quickly you can get to your audience through these various forms of social media. I don't think I'm breaking any news by saying there's been a decrease in the number of companies and clients who are looking forward to pages and pages of a written alert or a written discussion of legal developments, just like the rest of us in our private lives, think companies, the target audience that I'm going after, tend to like these very short blog posts or the 140 character Twitter statements of a new development and a new thought. It's been remarkably efficient and productive to me to be able to post something on a blog, post something on my Twitter account, use the various other social media avenues I have to 
sort of redo and repost those same thoughts when I want to get to a particular audience. It's instantaneous. I know that it's being read by a real good audience uh, who doesn't have to sift through pages and pages of hard documents and doesn't have to wait a week or two weeks for a marketing department to put something together and send a hard copy out. You hit on a number of solid things there. First, that someone seeking out professional services, 60% of the research is done before they ever contact the firms that they're interested in talking to. So they're going to basically make an evaluation of you and your firm services way before contacting you, which I think really emphasizes the fact that you have to have that strong social media presence, definitely from a firm perspective, have a really good presentation of the different things that your firm does and specializes in. I have to say the brevity of Twitter has been an interesting topic on Left Foot related to the legal industry. What can you say in 140 characters? And and of course, a lot of times what we're saying is go look here or for more information, go here on a particular topic. If you would, can you provide some information on both? I know you have a blog, Mike, uh, for Cozen, and maybe some information on how you've picked the topics for that blog and then possibly, you know, where you've had success in using Twitter, what those tweets have looked like. Okay. I think that you make a great point, uh, particularly when you talk about Twitter and you, you raise the question, what can you really say in 140 characters? I have found Twitter to be extremely valuable, not just a pure business development standpoint, but from a lawyer growth standpoint, because when you hear the, whether it's a cliche or the joke about how lawyers can talk for hours and days on a particular topic, one of the things that I think makes a good lawyer is how succinct can you be in articulating the position that you're trying to articulate? And it's not just social media that you're trying to do that as a lawyer. You're frankly trying to do that when you're arguing a motion in court or arguing an appeal before an appellate court when that judge or that panel of judges is spending the day listening to countless number of motions and arguments. How do you stand out and how can you succinctly get your point across? And to me, Twitter forces you to do that in a lot of respects. It forces you to take an idea, take a thought, take a development that you want to get out there and succinctly uh, articulated in 140 characters. That addresses the attention span that people who are looking through social media have. And I think it frankly helps you as a lawyer to be able to develop that skill by using Twitter. To your next point about where you know my successes have been on the social media with the blog, the shameless plug is, is my blog deals with social media and employment law. It is a very complex title, socialmediaemploymentlawblog.com. And I speak on just that issue, the intersection between social media and employment law. And I get topic ideas from all over the place. If you go through my blog, you'll see stories about somebody in pop culture, Lady Gaga or, or some other artist or entertainer who's doing something or saying something. And it has some impact by analogy, perhaps, on the relationship between employers and employees. So I'll write about that. I will read about a new case that comes across my desk or comes through one of the daily electronic bulletins that I get. And I will report on that case just to keep the target target audience abreast of what's going on when it comes to social media and social media use by employees and how employers can and cannot regulate employee use of social media. One thing that I found, because, you know, anytime as a lawyer, I think, and, and I'm, I fell victim to this, you're not sure when you start embarking on social media and you're spending all this time blogging or tweeting or developing all of these other electronic means of getting information out, you always ask yourself, well, how do I quantify the business development? 
development that I'm hoping to get? How can I be sure this is working? And the greatest success story that I have uh, at the moment is uh, two years ago when I was just about a year into my social media and employment law blog, I got a call within a 60-day period by two companies, the in-house counsel from two companies, extremely large, well-known companies that are national companies. And they told me the, the very same thing. They said that they have a project that they were about to um, embark on with their employees that involved social media, um, an intranet social media platform project. And they wanted to find a lawyer who had some experience advising on relevant issues and had some knowledge about this area. So they went online, did some Google searches and came across my blog, read some of my blog posts and decided that I might be somebody who has some experience advising in this area. And literally within the same 60 day period, I was engaged to help them out with particular projects. And the hope is obviously that that will lead to a developing relationship that can expand into other labor and employment areas going forward as well. It was a great experience in the sense of, wow, this does work and it is worth the time putting this stuff out there because you just never know what is being seen and by whom. Great example. And thank you for sharing that. I do feel that we can tell success when someone we don't know finds us. You basically had someone who didn't know you, probably knew of your firm, but didn't know that your firm specializes in this area and was able to locate you. And that led to business. That's a significant positive when it comes to marketing and business development. One of the other limitations of the traditional means of marketing, and that is even when you're emailing client alerts or client bulletins, you're typically going off of your client and contact list, which is in and of itself based on either existing clients or people that lawyers have met on one occasion, they've been to an association or a group or a committee with, it, there has been some interaction with the people on your marketing lists to some extent for the most part. But as you just pointed out, I think correctly, when you're talking about social media, you could be touching everybody and anybody around the world and it doesn't require you having had any interaction with the person or with the group of people for them to be engaged in what you are articulating and then prompt them to contact you for a possible engagement. And I really think that's what's making the world smaller and really leading to all kinds of opportunities that we've never imagined would come to us. Can you talk about how the market has changed in your particular practice area? Of course, social media not being something that's been around that long, but not not a new industry at all. But how has the market changed and have you had to adjust the way that you approach the market from a proposing perspective? And so this is taking it that one step further. The economy's change. How has that affected the way that you go out and acquire business from the actual signing of contracts and proposing perspective? You, and when you say signing of contracts and proposing, do you mean sort of closing the deal with a new client? Closing the deal, pricing, managing the deal. You know, have you had to adjust pricing? Are you doing more project management? Are you doing more formal proposals or have those been minimized because there is more project management and there is more different ways of pricing that would adjust how you're presenting to a client? 
I think the answer is yes to all of that, very simply. It starts with the mindset. I think if you go into business development in 2016 and 2017, thinking that you're the only lawyer and you're the only firm that can provide the particular service to a client, I don't think you're going to be successful at all. I think if you go in with the mindset of there are a million of us out there, how do I distinguish myself when it comes to closing the deal to bring on a new client, when it comes to managing that client relationship, and when it comes to the flexibility that I think clients are asking for in today's day when it comes to legal services. I think if you have that mindset, you're going to be much more successful, not only getting the new client, but keeping the new client. That applies to all of the areas that you talked about. It applies to flexibility when it comes to rates. There are some matters for some clients where the the billable hour is still the preferred and most appropriate way of doing things. We hear about alternative fee arrangements that people come up with for particular kinds of matters and it applies in my labor and employment world. I think you need to be flexible, whether it's flexibility with the hourly rate or whether it's flexibility coming up with a creative fee solution to address the client's needs for certainty, for budgeting financial purposes. I do think you need to be flexible when it comes to how you're staffing, how you're managing the particular case. And I think the other thing that has changed when it comes to the market and client expectations goes back to something that I really started with, and that is building the relationship. It's not about developing a relationship outside the pure legal aspects of it when you're trying to pitch somebody. I think it's just as important to maintain a certain relationship when you already have that individual or entity as a client. And what do I mean by that? I mean, continuing to be interested in them, continuing to be interested in what they're doing, what their needs are, what their their interests are, both in and outside of their particular workplaces. Give a sense that you want to know what their business is so that you're not just looking to create a legal memo or give pure legal advice. I have found that in today's market, clients are really looking to partner up with their lawyers as business partners, not just legal partners, so that they are putting a phone call in and getting value from the time by not just getting hard, cold legal advice, but legal advice that's applied to their industry, to their particular business and the unique nuances of their business. So I think the relationships and what clients are looking for out of the relationships have changed. And today, it's more important than ever to be flexible and to have and maintain the good relationships well-rounded with the clients. Absolutely agree. And we've talked about being good business people, having that curiosity around your client's business, that we serve their businesses. It's important to have that interest in their business and and be able to have business conversations. Stepping back to that point on pricing and making sure that it works for your client and having the relationships, I'll even say to my clients, you will not be remembered for getting a slightly lower price, but you will be remembered if this relationship works out and the work product is exactly what you expect. You have to have a good relationship to have that conversation with the person. You don't want to appear in it for your own fees. You know, I've actually once had someone say to me, well, if you think it's not a big factor, then why don't you just take the lower fee? And that's really when you start to say, what don't you value about what we're presenting? And you can really have a good business conversation. There is something they don't value. They know that as a lawyer, I'm in a firm that's in it to make money and that this is a business as well. They don't need to hear that and they don't need to be attacked with that. What they want to hear, I think, is, you know, how can both sides win in this relationship from a value-added standpoint, from a rate sensitivity and flexibility standpoint, so that both sides win. It's not just about the lawyers maximizing their fees and, and getting that out of the relationship, but how 
can both sides find value in this relationship so that we can develop a trust and we can develop a working relationship, not just for the short term, but long term as well. I can't tell you how often in in my career we'd present pricing and the client just said, okay, because frankly, (laughs) at that point you had built the value and they were fine with it. And we knew what they would pay because we've had enough conversations around it and we knew what was what was valued. All, All good information. What have you seen out there that's innovative? Have you seen anything that you either that a competitor is doing or that possibly an organization in a slightly different area of legal services? you know, maybe one of the legal services vendors that isn't a full law firm. Have you seen anything innovative that you're saying, hmm, you know, that that's going to be a very appealing practice or a very appealing service that clients really going to tap into? Sure. I think you're always looking, as I used the term before, value added. I think you're always looking or should always be looking for ways that you can add value to your client relationships beyond just providing the traditional legal services. You start to think about, well, how can we make what we do and what we offer more efficient? How can we make what we do more cost? effective. And you start to look at things that clients are having to pay for outside of the law firm when it comes to vendor products and services. And and e-discovery is a great example of that. And I think one area where lawyers and law firms can uh, do a good job to provide that value added is to develop in-house, inside the firm, cost-effective expertise in areas such as e-discovery and document review so that there's one-stop shopping. You can make things much more cost-effective when you're working with the client on the legal front, but also for these services. So e-discovery is one area that's continuing to grow in that regard from a, a service provided by a firm. Data analytics is, is something you also see and read about a lot in the news as a way for lawyers to, I don't want to say commoditize necessarily, but take a particular area of the law, such as labor and employment, and find a way to provide streamlined methods to companies and to clients for Uh, representing their interest in a particular kind of case. How can they use data analytics to streamline the representation process? How can they use data analytics to perhaps predict how litigation and litigation trends are going to go moving forward? We're seeing that in so many industries and to ignore the electronic services that are available that allow really just much faster throughput of information and the ability to get through data as well as use of the data, assessing the data, analyzing the data and coming out with some type of recommendation. There's a lot of access to data, but it's really the interpretation and the recommendation that make a difference in the end, especially to clients. That's what they're buying, that interpretation. I think you're always looking or should always be looking for ways that you can add value to your client relationships beyond just providing the traditional legal services. You start to think about, well, how can we make what we do and what we offer more efficient? How can we make what we do more cost effective? You start to look at things that clients are having to pay for outside of the law firm when it comes to vendor products and services. Data analytics is something you also see and read about a lot as a way for lawyers to take a particular area of the law, such as labor and employment, and find a way to provide streamlined methods to companies and to clients for representing their interest in a particular kind of case. How can they use data analytics to streamline the representation process? How can they use data analytics to predict how litigation and litigation trends are 
are going to go moving forward. We're seeing that in so many industries and to ignore the electronic services that are available that allow much faster throughput of information and the ability to get through data, as well as assessing the data, analyzing the data and coming out with some type of recommendation. There's a lot of access to data, but it's really the interpretation and the recommendation that make a difference in the end, especially to clients. That's what they're buying. When you're talking about relationships and this whole area of how do you distinguish yourself as a lawyer, it's not just about writing the great brief and giving the great legal advice. It it has become how much value can we add beyond just the pure legal side of it? What kind of services can we provide that are ancillary to the practice of law? How much can we give them value through our rate flexibility, through our alternative fee structures on top of the ancillary services that we provide? When you talk about the changing market in 2016 and going beyond 2016, I think that's really where the successful business developers are going to be. Those that are able to recognize that and be successful doing that. Great lead into this next question which is most lawyers, when they start practicing, they're really spending those those first years, whether that be the first five, seven, 10, really becoming very good at what they do and really becoming comfortable in the area in which they've selected to practice. Many are not excited about entering the next phase of their career, growing their practice and really acquiring clients. What advice would you give to that person that is really starting that part of their journey? It goes back to what I started with before, embrace what you're comfortable with and just do something. Figure out what works for you, what you're comfortable with, what you have a passion for doing, and sit down and tailor some sort of business development plan to what you're comfortable with and what you're good at doing. Um, I think you have to recognize where we are as an industry when it comes to social media, when it comes to the electronic world, when it comes to some of these ancillary services that I mentioned uh, in a prior question. I think you have to recognize what the reality are of the market today and you need to embrace it somehow just to do something. Great advice. What do you enjoy most about the work that you do? I guess the labor and employment uh, area is very much a people practice, dealing not just with contracts and and legal terms, but you're dealing with people, whether it's discrimination or harassment or employee wages. I mean, so much of what we're hearing about in the news now when we're talking about family leave and paid sick leave and the fight for minimum wage and the ability to compete freely as opposed to being restricted somehow uh, by a non-compete agreement. These are all very real world, real life people people issues. And so I have just found it extremely satisfying to deal with those people issues with people that I've been able to develop relationships with on the client level. The other thing that I really enjoy most about the labor and employment work that I do is that it's always changing. We're not just dealing with some theory that we learned about in our constitutional class in law school. We're dealing with laws that are changing every day or every week on the federal level, the state level, the city level. So it's been challenging to keep up with all of the changes and all the developments. It's been challenging to take what you're keeping up with and get it out and educate your clients and contacts and and other people and then be able to formulate strategies for your cases and your litigation that adapt to all of the the changing developments. So I think the people aspect of it and the constantly changing aspect of the issues uh, is really what I enjoy the most about it. Fantastic. Enjoyable interview, informative interview. Any last points you'd like to make before we 
we say goodbye? No, I think my soundbite is, is again, where I started. And it, it took me a little while to realize it because when you start trying to get involved with business development, you think to yourself, well, I've got to do everything and anything. And you really realize that you only have a limited amount of time and that you are only a person who's comfortable doing certain things. So you really need to spend the bulk of the time in the beginning figuring out what you do best, what you're comfortable with, and tactically figure out where to spend your limited time with business development. And I think that's where you become the most successful when you tailor your business development plan to you as a particular lawyer. Absolutely agree. Mike, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you very much, Nicole. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. Thank you.